Hi, all. I wanted to hop on really quick before this episode started. First off, if you don't know, we are in our Inner Child December series. So this is episode three of the series. Um, So far, we've talked about dance therapy and relationships. And in this episode, we're going to talk about rest and burnout and how to give our inner child rest if we didn't get that when we were kiddos. Um, We have two more episodes of this series. If you're just starting with us, we're doing a new episode every Friday that centers on a different aspect of inner child healing. So we'll get into that. But I also wanted to give a quick trigger warning. We talk about a lot of triggering things. So we talk about cultural trauma, including 9-11, the 2008 financial crisis, and national traumas, which is timestamped in the episode description. We also talk about school shootings, which is also timestamped, and specifically addressing lockdowns in Columbine. And then we talk about um, burnout, childhood trauma, childhood abuse, and a brief mention of suicide slash self-harm, which is also timestamped in the episode description. Um, I know that's a lot. So as always, please take care of yourself. And if this is not the episode for you, no worries at all. Other than that, um, I've loved this series. I hope you have too. And I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a great one. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about inner child and giving our inner child some space to rest with Cassandra Dunbar of the Be Well Sis podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so glad we get to have you back on. Um, So we are in our third episode of our inner child series. Um, For those of you who are maybe just joining us, um, our past episodes, the first episode, we talked about relationships with Jordan Dan. And then the second episode, we talked about dance therapy with Chelsea Horton of Healing Embodied. And um, we have a few other things we're going to cover in the next episodes. But for this one, I wanted to dive into rest and perfectionism because I think um, a lot of the times we hit our early 20s or mid 20s or whatever, and we're burnt out. (laughs) And um, I think a lot of that can come from childhood and not really having the space to be a kid and let ourselves rest. And rest can obviously mean a lot of things. But um, when we get to that age, and we're starting to do all the healing work, we're already so burnt out that a lot of times we don't even have the energy for the healing work. And then we're just kind of stumped. Um, and so I wanted to have Cassandra on because we talked to an episode seven way back when, um, (laughs) actually like over a year ago now, um, we talked about some rest and specifically about black mental wellness kind of in the context of rest in episode seven. And so, um, you and Chelsea were the two guests that I had back. And I thought of both of you guys when I started like I built the series off of you and Chelsea and then kind of extended inviting other new guests. Um, so for those of you who maybe haven't heard episode seven, uh, Cassandra, do you want to give a little bit of background into you and what is Be Well Sis? Sure. Um, yeah. So Be Well Sis is a podcast that um, is about mental, emotional, physical wellness, and even financial wellness, um, specifically for Black women, because in the wellness space, we have been... Um, historically just ignored. Um, So I created the space to be a safe space for our Black women to just heal together, to feel seen, to be seen, to be heard, and all of those good things. Perfect. Um, And you want to chat about your podcast a little too? Because I don't really think we plugged your podcast too much on episode seven. 
Oh, um, yes. My podcast comes out. It's I well, I uh, launched it back in 2020, and it comes out every Tuesday. We have new episodes, mostly it's inter- interview based, um, but and we talk about just about everything. Um, typically, I speak to like Black millennial women um, who are in the wellness space, whether they're therapists, whether they're um, physicians, whatever. And we talk about different modalities of healing, of wellness, different facets of wellness. Um, and sometimes it's just me solo episodes talking about my experience in whatever. Um, yeah, so that is me. And right now, uh, for the month of December, I am doing bonus episodes every Friday as well. Um, just because the holidays could be triggering for a lot of people, people who may yeah. not have family or just have um, complicated relations with their families. So I have a bonus series that's happening right now. And it's just really to help you get through the holiday season, um, just to feel supported and to feel seen and just to give you coping mechanisms to deal with the family or not deal with the family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Um, well, why don't we start with just, I mean, I guess defining rest is like the biggest question of all time, but when you when you talk about rest and you talk about giving yourself space to rest and kind of wellness as a whole, what does that look like? And even just what does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. So I've learned this past year, I think, or the past couple of years, that rest is not just one thing. I think we all have been taught that rest is going to sleep or they're sitting down, taking a nap, maybe going on vacation. That is one aspect of rest. So that's physical rest, right? Like our bodies absolutely need for that time to like rejuvenate, to pause, to recalibrate, all of those things. But there's also different facets of rest as well. There's like mental rest, all all the work that we do um, throughout the day, we need to like take a pause and and not really think um, that's part of rest as well. Um, So like daydreaming, is actually rest. Mm. So if you can't like take a nap, if you can't actually go to sleep, but you can daydream, like allow yourself to like get lost in your thoughts for a few minutes. It's completely okay. And that's a form of rest. Then there's creative rest. So for people like us who are constantly thinking of new things for our podcasts or our writing or whatnot, creative individuals, it's important for us to step away from the creative mediums as well. Um, so that is also a form of rest. Sometimes when, as a creative person, whatever your creative medium is, you find yourself stuck in, like you have nothing, your creative juices are dry, right? That's because you need creative rest. And the best thing to do then is to do something else completely different. That's also creative. So I'm not a painter, but for me, it would be painting because like, Hey, this is something completely new and let me just try this out or coloring or just something else. Um, Another type of rest, um, I think there are seven types of rest and I don't remember them all. Um, So there's creative rest. Another one is social rest. Um, Sometimes it's important and social rest could look like two opposites in a way. So it could be um, if you've been around a lot of people, you need to step away from people. That's a form of social rest, or it can be actually tapping into your social network. 
So if you haven't heard from a friend for a while, like give that friend a call and see how they're doing and just chit chat. Right. Um, go spend time with your friends, like actively make time to be with the people who make you feel good and feel alive is also a, a type of rest as well. Um, so yeah, there are so many different facets of, of rest um, that we as a society really don't give enough credence to, which is really important for our overall well-being. Um, and then I thought of one more thing too. So like spiritual yeah. rest is another one as well. So it doesn't matter if you believe in like organized religion or not, but just spending time in nature is a form of spiritual rest, spending time in meditation. If, if you're into that prayer, if you're into that, or just finding time to really be still and to like see your thoughts, um, and to like not necessarily analyze your thoughts, just like let your thoughts go by is, is a form of rest as well. So, yeah. yeah, no, I love the clarification because first of all, I had no idea that there were that many types of rest. Um, and second of all, I think like one of the things I had a hard time with when concocting this outline and kind of figuring <laughs> out how I wanted to approach this was like, you look at a kiddo, they often get more sleep than anyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. they've got their naps, they've got their early bedtimes. Like these are normally relatively well-rested human beings mm -hmm. and for good reason, like they're growing, their bodies are doing a lot of things. They need the rest. But I was kind of thinking of it and trying to kind of figure out, okay, how do I want to approach this? Because there could be an argument that like, okay, well, how are you burnt out from being a child? You know what I mean? Like mm. children don't really have the responsibilities. Children don't really have this. Da, 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 da. And I could see someone, I was kind of trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I like go around that potential argument and try to figure out what, why, what reasons could a child be burnt out? Why could a child reach adulthood and already be so exhausted? And obviously the transition from like adolescence to adulthood is mm -hmm. major and exhausting in itself. But mm -hmm. I know so many people in their 20s that have hit this point where they, you know, they finish high school, they finish college, and they're so exhausted that the idea of just like being an adult and doing a nine to five for the rest of their life is like, oh, how the fuck am I supposed to do this? Like, right. I've been tired for years. And the question that really stumped me was I've talked about being burnt out. I've had, I've had, like burnout experts come on the show and talk about being burnt out and how to, you know, heal from burnout and all these different things. And it's been a big topic in therapy for me. And I had my therapist ask me point blank, like, can you figure out when your burnout started? And mm. I was like, Ooh, like, uh, age 12, <laughs> like 11. Like, I don't know, like really early on before I even knew what burnout was. And so, and I could see, there's, there's a kind of an old school way of thinking where you look at a kid and kids have big emotions or kids have really real feelings. And there's kind of that old school way of saying, you're just a kid, like you're fine. Like, don't worry about it. And I think that that leads to so many needs not being met in childhood that then we hit Absolutely. adulthood and we're, we're burnt out. We're, we're not feeling like our needs were met. We weren't set up well for adulthood, you mm -hmm. know, X, Y, Z. Um, and so we are going to go into perfectionism a little bit later, but I want to start off with what, what do you think could cause a kiddo to mm -hmm. not have received rest or not mm -hmm. even been, been encouraged to rest, even though when you look at it from like a logical one type of rest perspective, these are normally very, um, well 
rested, quote unquote, mm-hmm. well, you know, sleeped a lot <laughs> individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it goes back to you made a, a a little point there when you said if you go back like the old school way of thinking, like, you know, you're just a kid, what do you have to worry about? I am a mother now and I have to remind myself that I have been on this earth way longer, like decades longer than my children. So it may not be a big deal to me, but it's something that they're encountering for the first time, maybe the second time. And it's, it's a lot to process. And then when we think about the brain of a child, like their frontal lobe is not developed yet. And it's, that's completely normal. You know, the frontal lobe is where we make our decisions, our intelligence, our impulse control, all of those things. And it's not developed yet. So when though when we brush aside a child's like big emotions for experiencing their their challenges, that might be nothing to us. And we're not meeting their emotional needs like they're going to be exhausted really quickly, you know, even going. Yeah, they might be getting their physical rest like, you know, they're sleeping 10 hours, 12 hours a day. That's great. And that's important for like the hormones, for them to grow and all of those things. But all the other aspects of rest that we talked about are also really important for them um, socially. Um, The same thing that we need as adults are the same things that little people need, you know, that children need. Um, A lot of us adults fail to fall out of the cycle of burnout because we only address one part like well okay well we work too much so let me scale back on how much I work and let me get more sleep at night um, and maybe let me see my friends more often but all the other parts of rest we don't address because we're not told about the other parts of rest so now I look about I look at how kids are raised even the way my kids are versus how I was as a child um it's just so different um so I grew up like in the in the early 90s where I would it's really common for me to walk to the corner store and get an ingredient for dinner that's being cooked that night by myself at like age 8 maybe. Right. And my 8-year-old like we were just talking to him like he doesn't even know to wait for his change from like the um from the cashier. And right. just that difference and just knowing how we had like more of like a social structure and how we were more socialized to be around people and out in the world in, in some sense, like they're missing that. So I still that to say that I, I think a lot of the ways that we raise our kids now, they are missing so much, like the creativity, they're missing um, the social connections, like true in-person social connections, um, they're missing that. And I think it's really easy to get to your 20s completely burnt out because you've been deprived of so much for so long. I think about high schoolers now. High schoolers are so focused on the next step, which is college, that they don't get a chance to just enjoy right now, you know? Right, yeah. No, and it's so – I mean, I – I just recently saw a TikTok. I love TikTok. Um, Me too. <laughs> it's so bad, but it's so fun. Um, yeah. I just recently saw a TikTok of a woman in her 50s, maybe, um, talking about, and I think it was kind of a joke. I don't really think it was entirely serious, but it was kind of like, why are kids in their 20s like so fucking depressed? Like, what is going on with these kids? And this like 20-year-old individual like stitched the video and was like, okay, like I'm not trying to come at you at all, but let me just break it down for you for like the perspective of me being a 20 year old individual. And they explained, you know, 
for a lot of us at age, you know, zero to five-ish, wherever we were in that bracket when 9-11 happened, we get faced with this massive global trauma, right? Or national trauma, rather. Um, And we, it starts just being plastered everywhere. We're very Mm -hmm. young kiddos. We're seeing this really extensive, high, high, high level of violence, high, high, high level of trauma. And there's not the mental health awareness, knowledge, education that there is now. And Mm -hmm. so we're handed this huge trauma that as kiddos, our brains are not funk, like, you know, they're not developed enough to be able to like interpret that and say, um, even like interpret that and say, okay, this really bad thing happened that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen tomorrow at my school. (laughs) Right. And like, so it just becomes this really immediate threat to safety. So we see that we don't get relief or support or therapy Mm -hmm. or anything Mm -hmm. for that. And then this is all just stuff that people went through together. This is completely omitting the fact that so many individuals experience childhood trauma in their households or experienced abuse. Like this is just the, the things that, we all kind of went through as like a cultural zeitgeist. And so then we have, now we're shown that footage in mm-hmm. school every mm-hmm. year where we're watching people jump out of buildings, which is horribly traumatic. And to be honest, very inappropriate for very young, young, young minds to see. That's a lot for a young mind to see without like support and therapy and trauma mm-hmm. support. And then we move forward to the introduction of the internet and social media. And you give, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z get access to the internet. Now you've got social media. Now you've got MySpace. Now you've got really young kids, um, specifically with Gen Z. You've got young kids and they're, you know, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds on forums that they mm-hmm. are far too young to be on. You've mm-hmm. got them seeing images. There were, before there was um, such, there's still not great like content control on social media, but at least Instagram has some filters now where if there's some super violent video, it it catches to block it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And back in the day that didn't exist. And so you've got, you've got MySpace, you've got early Twitter, early Facebook, all of these things circulating early YouTube and things Mm -hmm. circulating really quick. And now you've got kids exposed to really intense violence, Mm -hmm. really intense sexual content that they Mm -hmm. really are not old enough to see. Mm -hmm. And you've got no trauma support no therapy, no, how do we walk through this? And you're also often growing up in the age of kind of the don't really talk about it at home. Like that's kind Mm -hmm. of the general cultural nature. And there's some outliers to that, of course, where there are some parents that had conversations with kiddos, but that's relatively rare. And then you move into Instagram, you move it. And so we just, they started kind of outlining all of the different national things that kids in the Mm U S experienced just at their Mm -hmm. age. Mm -hmm. And you just have these kids that are forced to grow up like really yeah. really fast and yeah. i think the thing is is because rest is not prioritized as adults <laughs> like society in no way mm-hmm. does a capitalistic society prioritize rest ever right. Um, right. they can they can put a fun sticker on it and say we got you a pizza party hey look we got a little wellness pod like right. but the actual priority is not there and so when you're pressuring young kiddos to act like adults, you're pushing Mm -hmm. them into this capitalistic no rest society. Absolutely. Too early. Right. And so I I think so often you have a lot of kids who experienced just, just too much at a really young age, whether that was through trauma, whether that was through just the kind of general national cultural zeitgeist, whether that was through, Mm -hmm. um, 
abuse or a really intense family death or whatever, something happening that just forced them to feel really big emotions, experience really mature things very early. Mm -hmm. It it does kind of skyrocket you into, well, now you have to be an adult and with adult becomes no rest. (laughs) That's kind of like the trade-off. And also as children, um, especially now that I'm seeing my own kids, like they listen to very little to what I say, but they'll do everything that I do. So Mm. in our culture where we're all about productivity and go, 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 that's what we've picked up from our parents and our kids are going to pick up from us. Like we have to model that rest is really important and the different facets of rest as well. Um, Because yeah, we, we pick up, a lot of our social cues and what it means to be valuable in a society from the people that are closest to us, the people that we're trying to emulate are our parents, our parental figures, right? So it's very easy to to do what they have been doing. And then by the time we know it, we're adults with real responsibilities and we're worn out. And also to your point um, about all the things that Gen Z and I think the millennials also experienced. Um, yeah. So for me, when I, 9-11 happened and I was in high school and I went to high school right outside of New York City. So a lot of um, mm-hmm. the, our, like uh, the, the city is where a lot of our parents worked because um, it was yeah. that close, right? Yeah. Um, so I remember that day really vividly because a lot of people were like, shoot, that possibly was my parent. Um, and not only that, the year before that, we had Columbine. Um, Mm. so that just changed everything. And then when I graduated from college, then we had, um, the first recession, like it's just been boom, boom, boom. And at that time you guys were coming up, I think with the first recession, maybe in, maybe in high school, maybe, but I was the first, the 2008 recession, I was nine, nine. Okay. Yeah. So even though you were nine, I could imagine that whatever, your parents or your, you know, your guardians were going through because of the finances, kids feel things, you know, like we may not have the words to describe what we're absorbing, but we know that something's not right. And the, like, you know, the vibes, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, So on top of all the other things that you said, like the internet and all of that stuff, like that also adds to a layer of why you come into adulthood having lived a whole life and you are tired. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the recession is a is a really important one. I mean, my dad got laid off and I remember like they were trying to give us a sense of we're going to keep your life as similar as possible. But we could tell something was off when like sure. we're we're cutting corners here and there and you know, my parents are you can hear them in hushed tones talking about finances and like yep. you know, we we knew something was up. And um from the recession on my dad kept getting laid off. Like he would get a job, he'd get laid off, he'd get a job, he'd get laid off. It just kept happening because it really took a toll on his industry. And then you, even with, with Columbine and with just school shootings in general too, like that's, that's a whole nother point of you have these kiddos who have just been exposed to just violence at such a young Mm -hmm. age. And unfortunately trauma does push you into a corner to grow up to some extent. Yeah. Cause you're facing like really, 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 complicated extensive feelings mm-hmm. that your little brains are really not meant to handle <laughs> yeah and yeah. you're just you're forcing kids into corners where they're having to grow up so much faster and i think luckily society is turning a little bit of a corner in terms of mental health and in terms of 
okay, these kids experience trauma. Let's get them in therapy. Let's get them support groups. Let's, let's talk about how to support these kids mentally. Whereas a lot of the people who are in their twenties and thirties now who still experience those traumas at young ages and those, even those just cultural traumas that maybe weren't just individualized, mm-hmm. um, we didn't really have those resources as much. Like that wasn't something that was it, there. I remember like I, my mom tried to get me to go to therapy when I was 15 and there was still so much stigma around mental health that I just kept yeah. saying like, Oh, you, you think I'm crazy. You think mm-hmm. I'm crazy. You want me to go to a shrink? Like, are you kidding me? And mm-hmm. I was just like, I felt so ashamed and embarrassed. And it would just like, felt like a death sentence to be sent yeah. to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Flash forward to like, I hit 20 and I'm like, yeah, uh, I love therapy. I think everyone should go to therapy. Like, there's it, it changed a lot over the last like, you know, five to seven years. Um, and so it's, yeah. it's the culture plays a big impact. Even if, even if you had zero trauma as a kid in your own household, which we know mm-hmm. is a pretty rare instance. Right. Right. Um, so even, even with zero trauma, you're still going to have some sort of cultural trauma. And we, that yeah. doesn't even go into, I'm speaking of this as a white, kid so that Mm -hmm. there's a whole other aspect of it if you're bringing in race and culture and um sexuality and income status and all these that that throws the whole thing on its head yeah yeah um I I just had a thought I'm thinking about how my eight-year-old broke my heart because so for the past two years he um was pretty much at home so for first grade he did virtual learning and then right. last year they didn't offer virtual learning. So he, I just homeschooled him, but I'm like this year he needs to go back to school. He's a social kid. I felt that he was becoming like, he was regressing a little bit in the social sphere Right, right. Let's get back into school. So he goes back into school and like, maybe like a month in, I'm driving him home. We're coming home from school. And he's like, so today we had a lockdown, um, a lockdown drill and I didn't mm-hmm. register what that was. Um, he was just like, yeah. He's like, I found a really good hiding spot. And then I understood because like, I found mm-hmm. a really good hiding spot. But he's like, mom, I'm, I'm a little nervous because he's like, I have asthma. What if I have an asthma attack? I start coughing and then I give up our spot and I get us in trouble. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, God, like I, I didn't have to do lockdown drills. Um, even after Columbine, we didn't have that per se. So yeah. I was like, wow, um, things that I didn't have to think about he has to think about and right. he gets it, but he doesn't get it, you know? Um, well, and their brains aren't meant to. <laughs> right. Right. They're just quite literally not meant to, they're not meant to handle that. Right. And, and I think, you know, we on a, on a larger scale have done good, have done better in terms of talking about mental health. I think there's so much work to be done. I think, especially at that oh, yeah. age, you know, like I wish they would have dressed, not dressed it up, but like talked about it in a more sensitive way. I don't think the counselor was involved. It was just like the sound came on and they just taught them like when this sound comes on, we close all the blinds and we go hide. And they, yeah, yeah. no. And there are, so like I grew up, um, I mean, I, so I'm 23. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started elementary school in 2006, 2005 ish. Um, and we, we did have lockdown drills and we did have the whole, but I remember not having them as an elementary student. I remember having earthquake drills and fire mm. drills, but I remember as a middle school and high schooler having lockdown drills and having 
I specifically remember having a math teacher that, and you know, it's kind of this weird thing. Cause like there's a fear level, but they were pretty rare and we didn't really hear about too many shootings partially because the internet wasn't what it was and mm. the news wasn't what it was. And so yeah. there wasn't quite as widespread coverage. And so I didn't hear about it quite as often. I also grew up in an environment where I didn't get social media until like middle high school, which is still early, but like there were, there are kids now that are nine yeah. <laughs> and have Instagrams. True. Um, and so I, I didn't quite realize the prevalence of it and how often it happens, I think. And so, the, you know, you're in, you're in middle school, kids are goofing off, like you're, you're under your desk in the corner or whatever. And people are like making jokes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we had a lockdown drill that, or a lockdown that wasn't a lockdown drill. And it was a, um, there, I grew up in like a suburb that was, uh, or not even really a suburb, but, uh, the city that I, that my school was in, um, it was like the crime rates were really high. And so we lived in kind of this, like, like not, we lived, but the school was in this relatively safe ish area, but kind of surrounded was a lot of crime. Mm -hmm. And so there was some sort of shooting or something that happened nearby, and the shooter was running on foot behind our school. Gotcha. And so they put everybody in lockdown. And I remember it, it, it all, I mean, it got real, real for all of us very quick. And I was maybe like 13 or 14. And I remember so distinctly me figuring out and thinking through, okay, if I get locked in the hallway, where do I hide? If I get locked here, if I get locked in the elevator, where do I hide? And like our math teacher who was fantastic talking to us and saying, just so you guys know, and this was like in the middle of the lockdown, just so you guys know, if they get in, I'm blocking the door. I will take bullets with my body. You run out the back door. And we were just mm-hmm. like, oh God. And we're 14. Mm-hmm. And I'm that's a baby. You're a baby. You're, you Truly. don't need that. You don't need that information. You don't need that to be a real life situation. And so it's just all of these things that add up that it's like your little brains are, to be honest, no one's brain is meant to have that as a reality, yeah. whether you're yeah. a kid or not. But when you're a child and you don't have the support and there, there weren't conversations, there weren't mm-hmm. therapists coming in and saying, Hey, how do we feel about this? Are you guys okay? Can we talk through this? There wasn't, let's do some breathing exercises. There was none of it. Yeah. And so you're just dumping trauma on kids and expecting them to grow up and act yeah. their age. And it's like, well, if I'm acting my age, I'm, I'm, I would be having a meltdown right now. <laughs> like right. that would be acting my age. Um, and then we take a full turn into, which we can go into perfectionism a little bit, um, and kind of expecting your kids to, to grow up and stuff. But you also have things with, with boundaries and rest, mm-hmm. because I think a huge part of rest is boundaries is setting boundaries. And I know a lot of people who grew up in either perfectionistic households or people pleasing households mm-hmm. where they were expected to be perfect yep. and therefore didn't really ever get to rest because they were so overworked mm-hmm. or they were expected to never have boundaries, always be available and be a people pleaser, be a helper and never have any boundaries to say no. Yeah. And so their consent, the consent didn't really get taught. Um, and when I say consent, I want to clarify that there is sexual consent, but I think there's such a wider version of consent that is even more overlooked mm-hmm. um, of asking kids if they want to be hugged. Hey, do you want to go see your friends? Do you want to have a play date or do you need to just be by yourself right now? Is it too much to go see friends? 
And that wasn't really taught at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> it was kind yeah. of like a, well, no, you're for a lot of kids. It was no, well, we have this commitment. You need to go. No, you need to help. You need to do this. You always need to be available. You always need to be ready to help people. And it teaches kids to have zero boundaries about learning what their thresholds are mm-hmm. so that they can learn when they need to stop. Yeah. Um, so how can people who maybe were either pressured to perform and be perfect or pressured to always say yes and kind of be the yes men, how can that evolve into being really burnt out, overtired adults? Mm-hmm. Listen, that was me. That was so me. <laughs> I, um, for context, my parents are Haitian. So we're from the Caribbean. Um, Caribbean people are like the stereotype is that we have like 30 jobs. And my mother fit that. Like she had three jobs, like days off. What is that? Um, and so in the home with me was my grandmother. So my grandmother like played that role. And I remember distinctly, even in the summertime, I had to wake up before the sun come up, the sun came up to do housework or read a book or something like rest was just not allowed. And I had no consent over what I did. And one of the reasons I got in trouble a lot is because I, looking back, I just wasn't forcing boundaries. Like, no, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't have to do this right now. I I will do it later. Um, So even though I had like my version of boundaries, it still was way too lax. And I always felt like I had to perform to be like that perfect child, you know, get straight A's and do all the extracurriculars and keep the house tidy, be like the personal maid of the house. When I got learn how to cook, be the cook of the house and um, just never take breaks because breaks weren't allowed for whatever reason. Um, part of it was also like our Christian um, background as well. Um, you know, being a good child and, you know, you know, honor your father and your mother, like that all was all part of it as well. Um, so I went into adulthood, not even, yeah, like early adulthood, just really, really just like burnt out because I was constantly performing. Um, even in my friendships with my peers, like, what can I do for you? How can I be there for you? And I love my friends and my love language is showing how can I be there for you. But even when I really deep down was exhausted and burnt out or I didn't have the means, I felt like I had to perform for them. Um, And then, of course, with school, like I was doing the most all the time. So you get to a point where you're absolutely burnt out. And I didn't realize I was a perfectionist, but I was in the sense that I felt that I had to be perfect in order for me to be just a little bit worthy. I had to to do everything perfectly. And if I didn't do it perfectly, I was like frozen. Like what now? Um, what I say now. Um, so as children, like our formidable years are like from around, I think from like seven to 12 are when like our personalities are like really hardwired and like what we believe about right. ourselves and the world are hardwired. So if you grow up in a home where you are taught that your value and your worth comes from how much you do and how well you do it, that's what you're going to believe about yourself. So you're going to go into the rest of your childhood, your adolescence, and then your adulthood constantly working, constantly overperforming, constantly um, trying to reach this metric that's impossible. Like nobody's perfect, right? And perfectionism is such a mindfuck because it tells us 
that you need to be perfect, but that's not a thing. It's like, it sets this goal. The goalpost is where nobody can actually hit it. Right. Right. Um, So we get burnt out just from trying to reach these unattainable measures. And so by the time we're like in our twenties, it's very, very easy to a not know who you really are. Right. And then two uh, or B um, really just be just burnt out because you don't have the foundation of knowing when to rest. And then also you're constantly chasing this unattainable um, goal. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, perfectionism is like a cancer. Like mm-hmm. it, it's so intense. And I, I love that you brought up the religious aspect because I think that for one, I know so many of my listeners are coming from spaces of deconstruction and leaving religion and unpacking religious trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Chelsea in episode two of the inner child series brought up the fact that she also grew up in a religious environment and that she wasn't able to play or to rest because she was too worried about having the weight of like eternity on her shoulders and like trying to mm. save all the people around her from hell. Mm-hmm. And that she kind of always knew that like doom was around the corner. Yes. And so there was never safety to let her guard down and to play. And I think that applies to rest too. Yes. Um, because there's a very twisted theology in modern evangelical Christianity where there's kind of, I grew up in assemblies of God. Mm-hmm. And so there is a constant theology that, and like a constant doctrine that's preached that um, it's not your works that save you. It's your faith Mm. that gets spoken a lot. Um, And I just had the hardest time with that as a kid because I was a little perfectionist. I wanted straight A's. I wanted to impress everyone. I was the teacher's pet. Mm -hmm. And that I realized as an adult, why it was so confusing to me as a child, because when you are showing everyone, then your you what your your actions are showing is that your works really do matter, <laughs> right? And and simultaneously that, that that actually really should apply because I think just saying that your faith is the only thing that matters and it's like obviously like your works inform your faith, but that your works won't get you to heaven. It's like, mm-hmm. well, they kind of do though. That's kind of what you guys are preaching is you're showing right. people doing things and that's what's getting them into heaven. And you're you have this laundry list of tasks you're supposed to do. And it gets so much more intense if you grow up in a religious environment like Catholicism, because there's so many more, here are all the things you need to do in order to, it's it's so works-based. Mm-hmm. But I know in modern evangelical Christianity, especially Sons of God, they kind of have this like tricky, well, it's not, it's not works, it's just faith, but it's like, but your faith is your works. So like me just believing, yeah, like me just believing doesn't do shit. <laughs> right. So for a kid, it could be like contradictory, like, cause like, you know, like children can only believe, not believe, but understand so much. Right. So, yeah, well, and we don't understand the gray. That's the whole, like children don't have that access to nuance. That's, that's literally right. part of the brain development is your brain develops right. into understanding abstract ideas. And prior mm-hmm. you're just looking at concrete, you're looking at black and white. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those like fuzzy, like, Okay. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid, like, I was just like, it, like you said, the perfectionism is, it's, it's not attainable. And mm-hmm. so in my religious aspect of my life, I would just work my tail off to try to prove to God that I was good enough. Mm-hmm. And I always, because I struggle with mental health and I struggled with, um, specifically I'd have, I have a mood disorder. 
Mm-hmm. And so I would have these massive mood swings and constantly got preached to me that I just didn't have, I wasn't accessing the fruits of the spirit or I wasn't praying or I wasn't this or I wasn't that. And so essentially like I felt like I had the faith, but my, it wasn't aligning with how my life was working. And I yeah. kept having these people, like people in my life say, well, it's, it's your faith, but also you're obviously not doing all these things. And this is why this is happening. Yep. And, um, there's also a whole nother side of Christianity that, um, I actually was just talking to my partner in the car. Cause I'm going to do a, a series of TikTok videos about it. If you ever heard of like health, wealth, gospel or prosperity gospel. Yes. 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 So there's that whole side of it where it's yeah. just works. The whole idea is if you do enough and you have enough faith and you're a good enough Christian that you will you have will the most money all. in the world. Yeah. Yep. You'll, you, if you have good health, that's why. And if you have bad health, it's because you didn't have enough faith. If yep. you're poor, it's because you don't have enough faith. Yep. And so it keep like religion in that context, specifically modern Christianity, um, and westernized i'll clarify as well westernized modern evangelical christianity um puts people in these spaces where perfection is unattainable and it's it's a little bit pyramid schemey because perfection is sure. unattainable but you're mm-hmm. going to subscribe to these beliefs and you're going to give money to the church and you're going to give time to the church and you're going to enter each the church but then you can never quite reach that and if things mm-hmm. are going wrong in your life it's, it's not the fault. church's fault it's yep. your fault because <laughs> yep. you don't have enough faith. And the thing is, is when you're get, when you give that information to a very, very young kid and you say, Hey, here is your, the knowledge of hell, which in itself, I could do an entire podcast on how traumatic that is. And that yeah. kids should not know what hell is. <laughs> that is right. far too intense for a young mind. So you give, you give them trauma by just exposing them to hell because I, as a kid, the amount of times I would re-ask Jesus into my heart over and over again as a Truly. kid to be like, Every week do I still me. have it? Yeah. Right. Oh my God. It was constant. I do something bad and I'd be like, Jesus, like, let me play the sinner's prayer. Like, is he still there? Oh my God. I'm going to, I'm going to be mm-hmm. cast into hell. It was a con. And there's so many kids that now have anxiety, adults that have anxiety that grew up in that environment. And so you're giving people trauma. You're giving kids trauma. You're giving them way too, way too much information as a kid. And then you're telling them, Oh, and also you have to treat this as like a full-time fucking job in mm-hmm. order to be a good Christian, in order to be seen as good, in order to be, you know, blessed by God, in order to da 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 da, da. And so you're giving kids, if you're if you do grow up in a religious environment, you already are withstanding the cultural pressure mm-hmm. and the cultural trauma and the lack of rest that culture puts on you. Mm-hmm. And then if you're then also placed in the religious culture, then you have that put on you mm-hmm. and then if you have childhood trauma then you have that put on you if you're if you have abuse you have that put on you if you have racial trauma you have that put on you if you have mental health and then you are trying to do all of this at an already lowered energy state yeah it, it's it builds up real fast Truly. and so it's so logical that we'd reach adulthood mm-hmm. and just be like uh, yeah, how the fuck am I supposed to do this? Yeah. And from a totally different side of it, I also think it really, 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 really plays into suicide rates, to sure. addiction, to sure. self-harm, because it's people trying to get relief from reaching adulthood or reaching high school and already wanting to tap out because it's just Absolutely. too exhausting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think also the other piece of it too is, and you mentioned it earlier, is the capitalism part. Like we're all Mm -hmm. chasing this thing 
like they have manufactured this like want like they put this want in us to go get this thing like and it's like we're on this hamster wheel and it's just never ending and now even though a lot of us are starting to like wake up and like capitalism really isn't it unfortunately (laughs) we live in a capitalistic society and we all have to like you know house ourselves and feed ourselves and Mm -hmm. yeah so you come into adulthood realizing oh this system is is fucked up it's not how it's supposed to be but i'm stuck here so Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it really is a lot. And and to your point, a thousand percent, I agree, like um, suicide rates and, and addiction and all of those things is people seeking relief and mm-hmm. relief from things that they've been dealing with for decades, even though they're in their 20s. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, what do we do? Like, right. what do we do? So how do we how do we prioritize healing and meeting those needs of rest for our inner child and for our present self for both. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we do that? And we can focus on kind of the inner child aspect first. If we didn't receive rest as a child, if we were overworked, overpressured, um, over traumatized, if, if those were, if that was the reality of our childhood, how do we come into adulthood and recenter ourselves with rest as a priority? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I love remembering, and my husband said it to me like a year ago, and I st- it stuck with me, and he was like, "We're the adults now, so we make the rules," <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like all the things. Think about what you missed in your childhood. Like what is something that you wish you had in your childhood that you didn't get? Now that you're the adult, you can give that to yourself, you know, right. and just sit down and really. Um, be honest with yourself. Like what, what sucked that you wish you could fix? You couldn't, you can't go back in time and fix it, but you can fix now because unfortunately, and fortunately that inner child stays with us and is always a part of us. So we can nurture that inner child now. Um, so ask yourself, what do I need right now? What can I give myself? Um, and then start there. Cause there's, I think a lot of us have like, you know, laundry list of things that we would do different in our childhoods, but like, let's start with one thing. What is the one thing that we can give ourselves now? Um, is it, you know what, we want to go back to nap times. If you could build in like a nap time for yourself several times a week, do that. Um, if you feel that, you know what, maybe I felt like I was lonely as a child. I didn't have enough like social rest. Well, let's cultivate those relationships to like have like your group of people that you have to like escape to. Um, you know, like if you felt like you were constantly working towards a thing and quote unquote being productive as a child and you get a chance to color and you didn't get a chance to do this and that, or maybe you couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford like um, name brand um, crayons. Like we always have to get Rose Art. Rose Art suck. Okay. Like those are wax. Rose Art's <laughs> horrid. <laughs> that shit is, it doesn't look good. They break. <laughs> right. Okay. So now I get myself Crayola crayons. Okay. And yep. that is like <laughs> feeding my inner child, you know, and like letting her be creative in that sense and letting her escape. If you weren't allowed to daydream, sweetie, go daydream, go take yourself on a picnic when the weather is nice and just like daydream, mm-hmm. look at the ocean if you're, if you're lucky to live by the ocean or go to the park, just whatever you did not have that you wish you had, give yourself that thing. Start with one thing because it can be overwhelming and then chip away at it until those things become part of your routine and you start to feel good again. 
Yeah, I. it's so funny because chicken nuggets have come up in almost every single episode of this series, which is <laughs> hilarious. But I, for me, it started with chicken nuggets. I was like, I wasn't really allowed to eat everything that I wanted to eat. Mm-hmm. And there was a pressure and a expectation um, and not even really put on by my family, but I just lived in a diet culture household. And so I, mm-hmm. I just had this pressure by society and the idea that fat was bad, mm-hmm. that I had to figure out how to combat that. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was like chicken nuggets. Like I, I, as an adult, I was like it, it, and it wasn't even necessarily that that was a need that wasn't met. It was just something that felt nostalgic mm-hmm. and something that felt warm and cozy and then that branched out into part I mean part of it I just moved into a new house um and me and my partner it's a three-bedroom house and so I told him if we're gonna move in together we need to we need a three-bedroom place and we need I need to have a room that is my room it is I can decorate it it doesn't have to have any specific logical function it can just Mm -hmm. kind of be a creative safe haven for me. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I we did not know that I was autistic. Um mm-hmm. still we're still trying to figure out if it's autism, if it's ADHD, if it's both. Um mm-hmm. and so I created a pillow corner with mm-hmm. stuffed animals and weighted blankets and a lavender neck pillow and a little canopy. And then I have a craft wall and I have an art table and it's not for me to like this is not a room that even if I, let's say I get a job and I start working from home, this will not be the room it happens in. Mm. Like this room is for fun. This is for podcasting for me is like a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. So I podcast in here. Um, I've got my crayons. I've got my embroidery shit. I have a, a little wood carving bird set that I haven't done yet that I'm excited to try. It's just all these little things. And then I've surrounded the walls with photos of people that I love and cards that I've gotten from people and embroidery and quotes that I love. And it's just, it's literally just, this is a room for me to feel safe and feel like, honestly, it kind of was like an inner child room. Like that's kind of how I looked at it from the beginning was I, I need a space that can be safe and, um, my whole closet is a gift closet because I loved giving gifts. And so I just have a whole closet Mm -hmm. where I have drawers of gifts and uh, wrapping paper and tissue paper and bags. And obviously that's a big step, but for me, it started with little things. It started with the chicken nuggets. It started with watercoloring. It started with, um, going to the beach with my dog and just having a day of play and rest and Mm -hmm. things that made me feel warm and fuzzy. And yeah, there, there is definitely a point where you hit adulthood and you're like, well, hang on. I'm the boss of this. (laughs) I get to do this how I want to do this. And obviously like there's not accessibility or um, not everyone has financial means to live that out exactly the same, Mm -hmm. but find the little things, find something small. Even if it's like maybe bath time as a kid was always rushed and always felt like you never got a chance to just play. Maybe that means like getting some of those funny little bath crayons Yep. And writing in the bath, like even yep. as like a 25 year old, there yep. are little things in it and it might, society might look at it and say it's silly and it's kiddish, but if you didn't get a chance to be a kid, you can now. And that's yeah. the cool part of it. And I think also, I think even as adults, I think we just need to play. We spend so much time. I think the reason why we're all so tightly wound and why a lot of us say how much adulting sucks is because we don't play. 
I think it's a fundamental human need to play, to seek joy. Like, what is the point of doing all of this work constantly and being productive constantly? For what? Like, enjoy. However you enjoy, enjoy, please, you know? Um, It's so important. Like, that is, for me, the meaning of life is not only to, like, give love, be love, experience love, but also experience joy. Like everything else is like, whatever, you know? Yeah. And with that being said, I've kind of asked this, I think of almost every episode of this series. Um, if you can give one starting step, if someone's listening to this series and has figured out, Hey, my inner child does need a little bit of extra attention. Maybe she does need a little bit of love. Um, what would you say is one starting step to rest? What is one thing that someone can do as an action step? So because we all have different needs, um, I can't give a blanket thing, but the one question that really has changed things for me is what do I need right now? And whatever the first thing your inner voice tells you is what you need right now and, and, and address that. Yeah, no, I love that. And we've talked a lot too in the past episodes and then actually the the next episodes of the series as well about intuition. And I think that trauma disconnects us from intuition. We've talked about that. I mean, that has been like the chicken nuggets and in intuition have been <laughs> the, the, the recurring themes of this series. And I think um, it, there is such a, a partnership between inner child healing and learning to trust your intuition again and figuring sure. out Maybe your needs got bulldozed as a kid. Maybe you said you needed rest. Maybe you said you needed to be by yourself and you were told, no, come on, let's go. So maybe part of this is just, okay, well, how do I, how do I relearn how to figure out what my body needs, what my brain needs, what my soul needs, because that in itself can feel like a journey. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just had someone on where we were talking about the fact that you might, you might be led astray by your intuition. And so give yourself grace too to, to, make the mistakes and learn and kind of do the trial and error because it, it very well might be a little bit of a trial trial and error process. Mm-hmm. For sure. I look at it as like a muscle. You have to exercise it for yeah. it to become stronger and everything. Yeah, for sure. No, I love that. That's a, that's a great way of explaining it. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on again. Oh, it's always thank really you. fun to have you on. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. I want to make sure people have a chance to find you. Obviously, you can go back and listen to episode seven if you want to hear more about Cassandra and her work. But what about social media projects? Do you have anything going on? Yeah, so I am on Instagram at BeWellSis underscore podcast. Um, I am on Twitter at BeWellSis. Um, my podcast is called Be well Sis the podcast. Um, yeah, I DM me any of those things. I, I love to chat with people, especially about these type of topics. Um, anything that's coming up right now, um, besides the bonus episodes for the month of December, um, no, we, I'm launching a Patreon. So if you would like to support <gasps> there, be well, sis. Exciting. Yeah. Patreon.com slash be well, sis. Yeah. Um, that's it for now. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please write us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at Serafina And you can visit the podcast online at mindfulmindspod.com. 
You can also follow us on TikTok at Mindful Minds Podcast. You can follow me on TikTok at Fina underscore underscore Bina, F-I-N-A underscore underscore B-I-N-A for more deconstruction content. And as always, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way, even if that means just by resting. (laughs) I'll chat with you guys next week.